throughout our life, we make all kinds of connections. From our neighbors to our co-workers, from family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourself? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with hosts Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. It's time to listen and learn. Hello, and thank you for joining us here at Things Worth Considering. I'm your host, Gord Riddell, here with my co-host extraordinaire, Dr. Jan Hill. How are you doing there, Jan? I'm great, Gord. How are you doing today? Good, good. Now, you know, we had some letters come in, a couple of letters come in, um, and actually what was interesting was they wanted to uh, know a little bit about us. They said that uh, we're... uh, uh, chatting uh, with many about many cool things, uh, but they also asked us if we could tell them a little bit about who we are. You want to do that? Well, sure. I wasn't ready to do that, but you absolutely. You ready to reveal yourself? Well, let me tell you about Jan. Jan is a very cool prof. Uh, she's a professor at York University. She has also been a professor at uh, Ryerson University as well as Brock University. She makes her way around. Uh, <laughs> she's actually, she's a... Uh, a PhD in sociology, and uh, which is really, really kind of fun because, well, she looks at the big societal things. I like to look at the smaller human beings that make up that big society and how we think. So uh, Jan is a graduate also of the Transformational Arts College. She has qualified as a registered psychotherapist. She's also an international coach, and uh, she's very fun to work with. Jan. Yes. All right. Woo. Sounds Thank you. Good. Sounds good. All right. Tell them about me. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. Well, Gord's, Gord's the counterpart. Gord's the yin to the yang, so to speak, I guess. <laughs> uh, no, Gord is the guy who heads the call, the um, Transformational Arts College here, and he is the impetus for a lot of things that happen around this place. He has worked uh, a lot in addictions and all sorts of different various other forms of psychotherapy. He also is a registered psychotherapist, and he is the guy whose brain I wish I could just suck out of his head and put in mine, because that would be <laughs> well, all that, that great extra knowledge. <laughs> so, oh, Well, thank you. I don't think you'd want that. It could get mm-hmm. kind of messy. You know? Yeah, it would be. Yeah, two brains kind of joining together. Uh, it sounds like a bad marriage to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um, uh, hopefully that will let you know a little bit about who we are. Uh, hopefully as we chat in our, our various shows, you'll get to know more, more of at least how we think. Uh, so, um, you know, last time we were discussing both external uh, versus internal obstacles, you know, the external being so much easier for us to sort of take a look at and deal with because we could just break any sort of goal or, or anything that we're working on where we've run into a problem, uh, breaking dang it down into smaller chunks um, and taking it step by step. You know, you list them out, move through your list very methodically, and each step gives a goal into itself. And uh, each one of those, as you accomplish it, actually is worthy of having a reward as you accomplish each step on route to the main goal. Uh, sometimes that main goal just feels so big for us, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that it's just like, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? Which leads us into that other part of us that I started to talk about when I had a brain freeze, and that was the, the subpersonalities. Uh, the one I talked about was the saboteur. Now, the saboteur, a, nice, a way to sort of describe him is you've been working on something, you're in a race, you're coming right up to the finish line, and the saboteur sits down 
and you're not going to cross that finish line. Any number of things could happen. The work could blow up uh, in some way, shape, or form. And there's this habitur just sitting there, and you're not going to cross it. It's really frustrating for us. Uh, the other one is our rebel. You know, the rebel definitely marches to the tune of their own drummer. Uh, and that that can be good also, but it also has a propensity to tell everyone where to go, uh, which isn't necessarily a good thing. At 15, the rebel is really important for us as we become an adult. At 30, it's really destructive. At 50, it's even more destructive. But it has both positive and negative traits. This is where my brain froze, was number three. I, do you think I could think what that was? And it is the critic. The critic. Do you think that was a Freudian slip by chance? There you go. What did the critic have to say about that? I don't know. He said, who's Freud? Um, (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the inner obstacles are a little more difficult to work with. You know, all humans who are just so complex and our inner workings are as individualistic as each other's appearance from how we think through to our own DNA. But there's one area where we share a lot, and that is our our propensity for negative thoughts and negative self-talk. What's with that? Well, certainly really human. You know, you ever seen animals or plants, you know, like beating themselves up, saying bad things to themselves? Imagine a flower, you know, and a plant. And the plant looks back and says, what, you couldn't have been prettier? You couldn't have had more petals? What are people going to say about me? Because you're not pretty. You've never heard a plant do that, have you? But that could happen, I guess, in someone else's world. But they might say, leave me alone. Leave me alone. Yes, they could. Yes, they could. Blowing in the wind. (laughs) So, uh, why are we so negative? Mm. Well, I think that's a great question. I thought it was. Yeah. Got an answer? So, yeah. My answer would be that, you know, as children, we're really... Well, we're just little kids, so we really want to fit in. And so we're always caught up in this constant uh, feedback loop, right? We put things out to the universe, put things out to our parents, our families, whatever, and we wait to see what kind of reaction we get back. Our family is the universe at that point. Well, that's right. And then we modify our behavior as we go along. So we're constantly reading the messages that people give us. Um, And we do that because as little kids, we don't know what the rules are. This is how we learn the rules of, uh, of, you know, of how life works. And so um, as children, then we kind of develop this template with that's constituted by all these shoulds. I should do this. I shouldn't do that. I should be happy. I shouldn't be happy. You know, it's not only what we do, but how we feel. And if mommy ain't happy, nobody's going to be happy. Yeah. And so if we're told we're bad or if we told what we're doing is negative, we internalize that and that becomes part of our template. Yep. Right. And so the internal voice inside our head can often sound exactly like the people who've been busy telling us the yes, the no, the you're good, you're bad message. And that's not just about parents. It's anybody who's an authority figure mm-hmm. in our life. It can be teachers. It can be priests, rabbis, uh, any religious trainers, mm-hmm. um, a big brother, big sister, aunts, uncles, mm-hmm. grandparents. Mm-hmm. They all become one voice eventually. Mm-hmm. And that's that critical negative voice. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're not, we're, not, we're not pointing it here at parents. That's not what I asked about. Mm-hmm. It's just about the fact of being little, all the big people who know and we don't, then that's who we end up creating this template from. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I remember the moment that I decided I was a horrible artist was in grade one. And we were doing this repetitive drawing. You were supposed to make a little symbol and then you were supposed to make it a whole bunch of times over. So Christmas time was coming and I thought, oh, Christmas is about baby Jesus. So I did a cross 
And the art teacher, the art teacher came by and said, a cross, that's like Easter, right? Not even a Catholic school. That's Easter. So she put a head on the cross and little hands, the little side crosses, and put a little sheep beside each one and said, there, now you've got a little shepherd for Christmas. So then I had to go and turn all my crosses into shepherds. And I have this visual memory in my mind of looking down at my piece of paper and going, no. Oh, no. I was thinking metaphorically, you know? (laughs) So anyway. I, yeah, that's, that's, that's how I children, decided. that's how we're so impacted. Yeah. Someone does that. They, She probably really believed she was helping you. Oh, yeah. She's the yeah. nicest person on the planet, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Lovely but person. we don't think through as to what's the long-term implications sometimes mm-hmm. of our butting in on a kid and saying, oh, no, do it this way. Yeah. And that's not really where they were at. Yeah. I think, what, you know, if we can remember or keep in mind that the the intellectual part of our brain doesn't kick in until we're about eight years old. Mm-hmm. So... When you when you talk about children, like up to the age of eight, that whole world is lived through our emotions. It's a felt sense. It's not a thought through sense. It's a felt sense. We feel everything, mm-hmm. and we feel in people's intentions. You know, um, and that's that's kind of you know something that we we never ever ever think about uh, is at what point does the brain mature. Well, the brain really actually doesn't even mature until we're almost 25 years old. Wow. So when it actually becomes what we would call an adult brain. Now, lots of the functioning is set in, but also lots of damage can happen at that that point. We certainly know there's certainly lots of studies around the use of marijuana when we're like 17 and 18 years old. That's also a point of uh, where schizophrenia has a tendency to, to introduce itself. Now, if you introduce then people who are smoking weed at the same time as a, an undeveloped brain, we're going to have, you know, more more of a propensity for people to, you know, actually develop schizophrenia. Yeah. It's kind of scary. You know, and too, as a sociologist, what I find interesting is the whole ideological focus in neoliberal society towards rationalism, right? So the idea of being a high-functioning adult is that you have access to your rational brain and that the emotions don't really matter that much. So you just soldier on through things, you make utilitous choices, you do all this kind of stuff that you need to do to get the job done. And there's very little room for emotion in uh, sometimes in the choices that we make. And yet... Emotions are so important in the choices that we make. And this is where the inner critic fits in because the inner critic can be there busy, rah, 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 nattering away at you, right? And it's nattering away at you because it's responding to these emotional cues, these feelings that we learned as children. Absolutely. And the more that we feel something in an experience, the greater likelihood we are to remember it. Mm. As Mm. we age and we look back, it's those things that had the strongest impact uh, emotionally whether it was laughter or whether it was you know uh, crying could have been even being angry um, but that's what we're going to remember our feelings become part of our memory and that's how we access that memory uh, which is really interesting so this whole you know rationality that we're, we're living on right now is is just uh, uh, unfortunately are we going to have memories at the end? Because it's almost like uh, we're not really getting there very easily, you know? Uh, so, you know, one of the things that we've discovered, though, is that this bias towards being negative is actually an evolutionary trait, believe it or not. When people tell us good things, we don't really do much about it. We might try to become even better. 
But what happens is that if people tell us something negative, we are more likely to try and change it. We're more likely to try and improve it. So this bias has actually been shown um, through uh, Adam Hansen. He's the author of Outsmart Your Instincts. And he argues that our early human ancestors, when we, they were without food surpluses, found that the status quo of what worked well enough was much more preferable than taking risks with had, which had any chance of failure. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this guy's really right on. Uh, the DNA that we have is that of those survivors, the ones who didn't take large risks and live to tell the tale. We are the descendants of the savants of risk aversion. (laughs) Isn't that a great word? Uh, So, you know, Hansen says that, you know, by uh, us not taking risks is what helped us evolve. And by us having a tendency to listen to the negative feedback allowed us to continue to evolve as a society. Mm -hmm. And it still does. People don't, you know, there's not much you can do with, hey, you're doing a really good job. But the the feedback that says, what about if, you know, or you tried this or this really sucks, uh, from that point, that's when we we would have a possibility of changing uh, and evolving more. Makes me think a bit about the role of innovation in contemporary society, right? Because innovators are people who are less risk averse usually than other people. Yes. Yeah, right? absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, but they, they make very rational choices around their risks, though. And they can tell you why they've done it. Yep. Yeah. Most of us just are like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's no intuitive. There's nothing creative about that. It's just like that little thing in our tummy that just says, "Oh, I don't really like where this is going," mm-hmm. uh, and that's not bad. We to, to follow. Um, you know, the problem is is that that risk aversion has a way of feeding into uh, big time feeding into our. Um, uh, you know, our negativity. And so every time we go to try something new that we, in fact, you know, are going to get all of this internal chatter, which actually will cripple us. Um, you know, have you ever found that in your life? Uh, that I get, uh, mm, I, yeah. Your earlier life. I, yeah, when I was younger, for sure. Yeah. Now I just kind of plow on through. No, I right? don't really care. Yeah, now I don't care. Yeah, if I follow my I think face. that's an aging thing, though. I know. I love that part. It really is, right? Yeah. You it's don't like, really care anymore. Yeah, and I think part of it is that, um, like, external criticism, you just kind of realize that the more people you know, the more stuff you do, the less likely you ever are going to be to be able to make everybody else happy. Boy, so you do might I know do that. It your way, right? Like, I know that one. Yeah, and I think that's just part of the aging process, right? And role conflict. We all have so much conflict in our lives around the roles that we play. That's right. Uh, and the more, as you said, you know, uh, you're, you're in education and I'm in education. We have a lot of people that we encounter and keeping everybody happy is really, you know, really a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really, you know, sort of following through on, on our, uh, on what we believe, you know, needs to, to happen, needs to move. Uh, staying in communication with those people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, no, absolutely. I don't care whether it's a brother, a sister, or a student, or an employee, or whoever. They're really, you know, even like my cleaning lady, mm-hmm. you know, not going to keep them happy all the time, that's for mm-hmm. sure. Um, and it, what's really terrible, though, is how hard we work at doing that. For sure, absolutely. That people pleaser. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's like another part of our, our, uh, you know, mentality of, you know, when we talk about these subpersonalities, that people pleaser, mm-hmm. just 
jumps out there and says, hey, hey, you know, like me, please. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the reason that we might hang on to some of that negative emotion that we might experience, right? You gave that great example of um, you get positive feedback and then you have a little bit of negative feedback and the one that you listen to is the negative feedback, right? We exactly. also have that thing where something happens and it might be just a small thing. Maybe somebody gives you the finger when you're driving or something, but it ruins your whole day, right? That the anger, whole that whole yes. thing, yeah. right? And that's and that's really most unfortunate, really. Uh, you know, I think we need to take a break here. Um, we are going to come back uh, to things worth considering. And we're going to take a look at, again, how this inner critic part of us can trip us up and what we can do about it. So you are listening to Quarterdell and Dr. Jan Hill on Voice America Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Sometimes the curveballs that life throws you are just too much to handle. You may have been abused. You may be going through serious addictions. You may be bullied. You may think it's over and nobody cares. Stop. There is a forum for you. Listen for Abba Daddy House Girls Speak Out. Hosted by Annette Smith and Myrna Thatcher. We give you a voice and provide an outlet for your stories. We can help one show at a time. Tune in every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you always known that something different was possible for your life and in the world? What if you could create beyond your current reality? If your relationships, finances, business, health, and life could be anything, what would they be? Join Heather Nichols for an invitation to discover what is true for you in every area of your life and for conversations loaded with pragmatic tools for how to create it. Listen live every Monday at noon Pacific and 9 p.m. Central European time for Creating Beyond Reality on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. 
Hi, welcome back. Uh, this is Gordon Riddell, and I'm here with Dr. Jan Hill, and we are discussing the inner critic, our propensity to have a negative bent on the world, um, and we were just talking about sort of where that critic came from, uh, and some of the studies that's been been done on it that shows that, in fact, it's part of our evolution. So, Jan, mm-hmm. where do you want to tell us about Rick Hansen? Well, sure. So, we're talking Rick talks about the negativity bias as being just natural part of our actual, our neurological wiring. And it, so we're hardwired. We're hardwired. To the negative. Right, to pay attention to that, yeah. Which is interesting given all of the work that people are doing around positive thinking. Yeah. And yet we are hardwired not to have positive thinking. I believe it's there. Yeah, but even in the positive psychology research where they talk about the actual sort of brain function, they're saying now that only 40 to 50% of the brain functioning is is really correlated with um, happiness scales and sort of that standard range of happiness. So even if you have a really, let's say, really bad wiring where <laughs> everything's like horrible, right? You still have <laughs> you still have quite a range in which to work in, right? Yep. But it is just like a very, very interesting time in human culture, in Western culture, to be thinking about so much uh, to, to have so much emphasis placed on happiness mm-hmm. and positivity, right? Because I think there's, a, you know, mm-hmm. I, I love I love some of the research. I love mm-hmm. some of the stuff. It's doing. amazing. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, wow, people are feeling like they're not living up. You mm-hmm. know, they're not meeting this happiness standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it becomes something that's, you know, it's that, it's that carrot in front of the rabbit, mm-hmm. you know, or the rabbit in front of the dogs, mm-hmm. you know, uh, on a racetrack that uh, you just never really get a chance to, catch it yeah and the desire for happiness is actually correlated with anxiety absolutely the more happiness that you're hungry for and the more you feel you're missing out the higher your anxiety goes yep absolutely actually that's one of the things we're going to be looking at next week yay excellent yes and today we're going to be talking about Rick Hansen for a minute because he looks at the the negativity bias that we're hardwired for and he says that there's actually a social purpose. This hardwiring serves a social purpose. Um, we, when we come together as a group of people, as a society, and we all share the same sort of negativity bias, then in a way we all have each other's backs. And the moral rules that we have keep us unified as a collective, keep us together against a common enemy or a common concern, a common worry. Kind of like the Ten Commandments. Kind of like the Ten Commandments, exactly. So these also serve an individual purpose, which is to keep us individually safe. You know, you're walking down the street and you, I don't know, you see broken glass on the side of the street or something. You think, ew, no, I'm not going to go there. Danger, danger, right? So it keeps your little feet and their flip-flops nice and secure. Shouldn't wear flip-flops outside. Not in this cold. Nope, not in this cold and not because of broken glass. Exactly, right? Yeah. What about in the workplace? Ah, so I'm sure we've all had this experience. The inner critic can show up in the most nasty ways. You mean the middle of a date? In the middle of a date, exactly. So it often shows up with conflict. And what's dinner? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It often shows up uh, with conflict that we have with others or the presumption of conflict. So what I think is really interesting about the inner critic is not only do we have our internal voice, but that internal voice that's telling us we're no good, we're not good enough, we did that wrong, no one likes us, we're not fitting in, all these messages that we get, right, we're bad, 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 not doing that good enough. Actually, most of the time that inner critic is mind reading other people. 
So what we're doing in that feedback loop is we're watching other people and we're trying to mind read them. And one, you know, we're wondering what they're thinking. We're reading their body language. And, you know, it, it's entirely possible that how they're responding to us actually has nothing to do with us. But it sets off the voice. The voice gets going. We think we have a conflict with other people or we may have a conflict with other people. We may believe our boss hates us. We aren't appreciated or understood or our natural talents or abilities aren't being recognized in teams. We may feel that other people are vying for our position or they're trying to compete with us or they're actually trying to sabotage us, Mm. right? They're out to get us. Yeah, and I find this is really interesting in teams because you'll have people who are goal-oriented. If you're goal-oriented, you will kind of sacrifice the the process, the social relation process, just to reach the goal. Right. So it's like you don't care what bloodshed happens along the way, whose feelings you hurt, who you trounce on in an extreme case. You just want the goal. You want right. it achieved. And then you go back and clean up the mess. Right. right? But if you're a process-oriented person, then the actual way in which the task is completed and the relationships that happen, the, the, the feelings that you have while you're doing that, um, task with somebody else or creating that through that process with somebody else is sometimes even more important than the task completion itself. So this mm. is where you can really have conflicts with other people. Right? And that's what's so much that uh, people who uh, come in and do uh, like in corporations uh, or, mm. or groups of people do team building. Yep is to move them from being goal-oriented into a process orientation. Right. You know, uh, even in even in uh, couples' uh, work, you know, uh, getting people into process with one another as opposed to their goal of having a happy marriage mm-hmm. is whatever that means, mm-hmm. okay? Very individualistic. We just talked about the danger of the word happy. Um, and then when we put that onto a marriage, basically what we're doing is we're dealing with some sort of fantasy Mm-hmm. You know, that fantasy of the perfect marriage, the the uh, the perfect relationships, what it's supposed to look like. And it's all based on fantasy romance novels. It's based on bad romance movies. You know, chick flicks mm-hmm. um, is what they like to call them uh, right out of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And that's that's defining for so many people what that process is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. And it never looks that way. Yep. You know, and any attempt to make it look that way usually runs into a lot of problems. So how how does this how does this translate into then with intimate, you know, this propensity to negativity? How does that translate into uh, uh, our intimate relationships, our marriages? I think that's a great question. Because I think it, we bring along with us all sorts of unrealistic expectations about that person. And sometimes, like, you know, you enter into a relationship with a person, but you have different goals for that relationship. If you want to buy a house, if you want to have kids, if you want to be, you know, have a certain financial stability, if you want to take holidays every year, if you want to. But then if you hook up with a workaholic or something who is that person who's never available to take holidays or the holiday time is always um always happens in the in-between space. That's right. right? The, yeah. the workspace. Then you can be in trouble. You can also be in trouble if you have, uh, in that negativity and in your own experience of growing up, of having any sort of trust issue. Right. You know, uh, Brene Brown in her research on uh, vulnerability, she's brilliant. Uh, she she talks about trust and, and how in order for us to trust is that we have to be willing to go into that vulnerable place, um, uh, the place of uh, empathy, the place of really being able to understand another person from our own feeling base. Again, coming back to feelings. Um, and um, when we don't trust someone, how that 
ter- terribly interferes with our ability to be in a relationship. Yeah. You know, and then whether that's at work, uh, I mean, if you don't think that someone's got your back uh, at work, you know, in, in any sort of situation, that could be a very difficult relationship. Sure. You and know, to put into marriage. Yeah. And to put ourselves in the place to open up to be vulnerable um, so that trust can grow is problematic if you're risk averse. Absolutely. Our negative thoughts are not going to allow us to become vulnerable. It's mm-hmm. just like the warning The warning uh, uh, from our critic would just be like, no, no, don't let her in. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's that's sort of a death knell, isn't it, yep. to I- our relationships? That can be with friends or anything. And I find, too, people who've had perhaps a series of negative relationships or problematic relationships, again, it goes back to this mind reading, right? It goes, it's the same sort of thing that happens in relationships. Somebody is behaving or saying or doing something a certain way, and and you think back, like the inner critic shows up and says, it's happening again. Right. And it's like, no, this is a different person. And it's like, no, it's happening again, right? So you might respond to the new person, to the new relationship um, in the way that you would have responded to the old person like the person before and their problematic behavior but but actually it's a whole new relationship right so it is you know one one of the things i know is that if the person you're having dinner with who's just come out of a relationship a while ago and they're still talking about their ex uh or the settlement or anything to do with them is they're not ready they're not ready to be out there dating they can't even see who you are because they're so entrenched in their ex still. You know, the healing the healing just hasn't happened for them. So, you know, we carry these, these you know, template over template over template of, like, in other words, one person over the other person over the other person that people who have, who have serial monogamous relationships um, moving from person to person, mm-hmm. um, they are still going to find they're dating exactly the same person and usually come out with the same results. You know, every single time. So then where do we take that into then with family and friends? Yeah. It's like, hey, I've dated you before. I think the learning sometimes is is one is that sometimes your type isn't really your type. Right. (laughs) It's like, uh, and then the other thing is that when you find yourself dating the same person, you go, oh, I dated you before, but instead of taking 10 years to find out it's not going to work, you only take five years. That's right. And then hopefully the next <laughs> yeah. time, it only takes three years or two years, so or you just month. learn faster. Or right? that first date that says, first no, nope, dated you already. Yeah, next. exactly. <laughs> I'm here. Move on them. to the lineup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, it does. It gets shorter and shorter. And I mean, that's the lovely thing about awareness is that uh, sooner or later, as we get our awareness pulled together, we realize that we are repeating behaviors quickly. So does this, that's just a function of age. Well, maybe. But so here's the question. Sometimes is your inner critic right? Oh, I think at times the inner critic yeah. can be right. Mm-hmm. If we go back to, you know, what is its purpose? All right. His purpose is to make sure that we don't humiliate ourselves, that we don't make mistakes that people would point out. So it involves our, my relationship with myself and my relationship with other people. Uh, it's the same as shame. All right. Shame always has to involve other people. Mm, right. And so the critic is always there. All right. Guilt is, is about my conscience feeling badly because I might have hurt someone even though they may not have felt hurt or slighted or anything. So guilt is a very singular uh, emotion, whereas shame is an outside emotion. It requires other people to be taking part in that shame. 
All right. So, um, you know, when we put those, those, you know, that sort of into perspective, the shame will always, it's always an invitation to the critic. Whenever we're feeling shame, whenever we're feeling that, remember that guilt is when I've done something wrong, but shame is I am wrong. Mm-hmm. That I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not worthy kind of an idea. So when, when we go into that place, it's just such a scary place. Right. So here's another question for you. What's the difference between the inner critic and intuition? What do you think? <laughs> I think that how we experience it, I think that comes with some some experience. Uh, intuition doesn't come in in a negative way. It certainly doesn't come in with shame. It doesn't come in with guilt. That intuition is pretty a pretty clear place to enter into. You know, it it um, um, you know my my experience would be I just feel brighter, clearer, sharper. That mm-hmm. that's really important. Um, I don't feel shame. I don't feel that I'm a bad person. I don't feel like I'm a useless person. Uh, I don't feel like I have nothing to contribute. You know, those, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the in- intuition can immediately give us that uh, that aha experience, sort of that says, uh, "No, this isn't a really good place to be," as opposed to the critic that will kind of pound out of us why we shouldn't be there. Right. You know, um, because that, that's what backs us out of something, you know, um, when that critic is there is, you know, when we're with family and friends or whatever, uh, you know, it, it really judges and criticizes um, not only ourselves, it criticizes all the people around us. Uh, it finds fault with our teachers, our friends, our best friends, uh, you know, people we in school with, all of those kinds of people um and what you know what what that does is it really jeopardizes our support system because the more we judge and criticize others the more we withdraw mm-hmm. and as we withdraw then you know we're going to start feeling cut off and there is so much uh, uh uh data coming out right now that is showing us that loneliness is probably more deadly than uh, uh smoking alcohol uh, you know, people over and by, um, you know, it's really scary, actually, um, because, you know, the major cities in North America have a higher uh, percentage of I- individual people living alone. Mm-hmm. Or with and, dogs. Or with dogs. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Jan's puppy passed away on the weekend. So, yes. Yeah, she's so very upset. I'll cry. Yeah, I won't. <laughs> I won't talk about it. Um, but you know, having having no, you know, as we were beginning to discover that aloneness is actually deadly for us, um, it really, uh, you know, begins to say something about what are we doing to ourselves? Our critic is getting us into trouble here. Our negativity. I so, think. I think that that anxiety and that that pain that often people feel is also really um, exacerbated by social media. Like, oh, it's tons totally, of studies totally, on this. totally. You know, tons and on, and tons on that studies. note of social media, I'm going to be exacerbated. Go into my negativity that. We have to leave here for a couple of minutes. Um, you're listening to Gord Riddell and to Dr. Jan Hill uh, on uh, the Amer- Voice America Network uh, talk radio. And this is Things Worth Considering. And we'll be right back. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Sometimes the curveballs that life throws you are just too much to handle. You may have been abused. You may be going through serious addictions. You may be bullied. You may think it's over and nobody cares. Stop. There is a forum for you. Listen for Abba Daddy House Girls Speak Out. Hosted by Annette Smith and Myrna Thatcher. We give you a voice and provide an outlet for your stories. We can help one show at a time. Tune in every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back. Uh, this is Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. You're listening to Things Worth Considering. Now, we call it Things Worth Considering because these are things that are worth at least giving a thought to. Don't have to believe everything. That's not necessarily a good idea. But we can certainly help change people's uh, frown to a smile by uh, just considering some of the things that are out there. So, okay, we're talking now that uh, we're talking about this negative thoughts and the inner critic. Um, we were talking just before break as to even social media, how it can really reinforce us not being enough, feeling cut off. In spite of the fact of, you know, connecting to a lot of people, we actually can feel really cut off. I think, you know, one of, one of the stories around this was a client a while back told me about her birthday and that lots of friends were there and, and so on. And the more I listened to the story, the more I, I was beginning to doubt and question what was really going on here. So as we continue to, you know, move through that and she was talking about uh, the experience, uh, her birthday party for her was people 
online, those were her friends. And there's no doubt that, you know, you can make great friends. However, the real reality of this was she was sitting alone. She was in a room um, with a computer screen and a keyboard. That was it. Now, I hated to be that person that broke that into her, but that wasn't a party. That was her by herself. Um, so social media has had a tendency to isolate us more as well. That, you know, people people don't go out to clubs to meet people. Uh, they don't go out dancing as much. They're sitting at home pounding away at a computer. And that is having very negative ramifications, not just on their thought process, but on I think on the society as well. Yeah. Um, Sherry Turkle over at MIT is sort of a preeminent um, researcher in this area, and she's got this fantastic book. She's written a bunch, but one that I like to use and I've used in classes is one called Alone Together. Mm, and it's just great title. Yeah, it's fantastic, right? She talks about some of the key research that's out. There's a lot of it's her research on the way in which uh, computer use is uh, creating an inability to actually converse with one another. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah, the and the influence of technology on sort of these networked systems that we have of of where people relate to one another, but you are spending more time relating to people that you don't actually know than the people who you would call up in the middle of the night to come and help you, for example, right? She talks about the way in which empathy is diminished because you don't, you can't, your mirror neurons don't fire when you're online talking to somebody and they're talking about their rough day. But when you're looking across the table at them, your mirror neurons fire and and that's the kind of thing that leads to empathy and um a sympathetic exchange, right? Absolutely. It's, like, it's an absolute connection. Yeah. And it's like face-to-face connection, yeah. not an electronic connection. Yeah. Not, not to diminish in terms of what is done for us in terms of communication and instant communication and so on. But also, there's a whole other side to that. And, right. and uh, you know, that has me really concerned. That has well, me right. concerned. And it's important to the inner critic, right? Because if you're you're sitting across the table from somebody and you're sharing something and they are giving you appropriate facial cues and they are, you know, appear to be empathetic and connected, right? Then then the feedback that you're getting back is I matter. I'm exactly. important. Somebody's hearing me. Yeah. Right? And when you go on social media and everybody's having a perfect life and everybody seems to everyone seems to take so many holidays. <laughs> right? Like that sort of thing. And you sit there and go, oh, I haven't taken I a holiday, holiday since 1997. Summon, exactly. you know <laughs> then it makes you feel badly about your life and the inner critic is there saying what did you do wrong yes right? yeah absolutely look at these people they're all like they've got great jobs great money they're traveling all yeah. over mexico but again, they, again <laughs> right? but are they really yeah are they really there's a lot of of uh less than honest exchanges i think of of our stories mm-hmm. going on on uh uh, social media. I can't. I'm not one that can really talk a whole lot about it, about it. I'm an observer. I have not taken part in it. I'm not on Facebook. The uh, our show is mm-hmm. on Facebook. If you want to go and check us out there, uh, and uh, Voice America is on Facebook as well. But uh, personally, I've never chosen to uh, to take that route. So I can only see what I observe. I can also only talk about what students in and and clients have told me over the years right. as they've gotten more and more involved or in my family where i watch having family functions only to see a couple of them off in the corner uh including one person who like for three or four hours was just off talking to you know on her facebook and mm-hmm. i'm kind of like well i'm really glad that we came to visit mm-hmm. um you know i'll get facebook so that we can talk someday 
Yeah, that's, that's kind right. of what it feels I'm like. I'm texting you right now, Gord. Exactly. Right? So exactly. Uh, Rick Hansen has um, some ideas about uh, some very simple steps that a person can take to sort of disrupt the negative thought patterns and to sort of quell the inner critic, critic's voice. Um, and the first step that Rick Hansen suggests is to get really good facts. So, I hate fax machines. <laughs> oh, not that kind of facts. The other kind of facts, yeah. Okay. So you get really good facts about something. So let's say you want to engage in a particular behavior. I'm going to pick one just for the purposes of illustration that's pretty risky, So, but it's actually not. It's skydiving. So you could say, if you didn't know anything about skydiving. My uncle died skydiving. What are you talking about? It's not risky. What an unlucky day for him. <laughs> yes, yes, it yeah. really was. It was a military jump, and, and seven of them died. Okay, well, you just blew my illustration out of the water. Oh, so I know. I'm sorry. That was the wrong one for it to use with me. Okay, okay but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> well, everybody but Gord's uncle. So um, if you, let's say you want to, so the popular cultural perception of skydiving is you have to be a lunatic to jump out of an airplane, right? So, but here's the facts. The facts is the equipment is excellent. The equipment is tested. When you roll shoots, they're rolled in a particular way by people who have been trained to roll shoots, and you check your equipment multiple times, and you probably, the most riskiest thing in skydiving is actually getting into those little planes where the they've all been gutted, and they rickety, 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 and they don't have doors anymore, so the right. side's wide open, yep. you know, and taking off and landing in those planes can be very, very risky, Right. But the actual jumping part and the relying on your equipment, because you know your equipment's in good shape, is actually diminishes the risk. So if you can think about any of the more sort of, uh, we think of extreme sports, like skiing even, right? If you are a good skier, you know, you look after your equipment and you know what you're relying on. Well, how about something maybe even simpler that an awful lot of people take part in and have a fear of, and that's flying. Mm, Yeah. And yet flying is way safer than the car you just traveled in to get to the airport. Right. Uh, Even if it was public transit, you're more likely to have a mishap there than, than, uh, you know, the statistics are there. Right. So now all the people who are afraid of flying have just transferred their fear over to afraid of cars. Right? Great. Because the facts are there. This is the thing that Rick Hansen I expect free says. airline tickets there then for go. giving the airlines a plug. Right. There you go. So it's like, the, so the whole idea is that you get the facts that actually refute what it is your inner critic is saying. Yep. So, and it will actually bring down sort of the risk aversion. If you have an inner critic that's basically saying, you're no good, you don't know what you're talking about, blah, 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 then you actually remind yourself, right? If you, one thing I will make clients do often who are a little concerned that they don't uh, have the the appropriate education or whatever to do their job or they feel uncomfortable with it is to actually write down the number of hours of training that they've had to actually have that job. And when they get up over 5,000, 6,000, 10,000, 20,000 hours, then they go, oh, you know what? I do know what I'm talking about. Right. (laughs) So that's another example of where the facts actually, you know, they, uh, they shut that inner critic voice down. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the second thing he says is about savoring your experiences. Um, I, you know, I think that that's a, a great, um, just a great, great advice. I can remember a woman telling me once how when she was away on vacation, she was already back home telling everybody how great it was and all the stories she was going to tell. Huh. And I was like, wow, really? 
like she didn't even stay in that place. Of course, that's a, that's another whole show on on just being able to live the moment as the moment's happening. But uh, she would actually be yeah getting ready to tell us uh, uh, what that would be be like. You know when we we you know savoring an experience requires that mindfulness. It's just um, what are we feeling? What is our body telling us? Mm-hmm. What is our feelings telling us? And just taking that in, you know, uh, most of us aren't present. Most of us are uh, here now, but I'm actually at home and I'm cooking dinner right now, uh, which isn't true because I don't really like to do that too often. Um, right. But uh, in other words, it's not being present. Right. We're in our brains analyzing our experience instead of actually being inside our body saying, how is my body responding to this experience? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Now, you know what? I always talk about the fact that, you know, being a lecturer, teacher uh, uh, and, and being a therapist, the, the biggest gift they ever gave to me, my students or the people that would come and listen to me was keeping me in the moment. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to do what you're doing, like what we're doing right now, and not being in the moment. Because I would go, I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. What did you say? Mm-hmm. And people would think of that we're really nasty people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's staying connected. It's all about that connection, and that connection takes place in the moment, mm-hmm. and it takes place through the presence of our awareness of our body and of our feelings and of our mind. But right. It's all connected. Our spirit. It's all yeah. here. And the third piece, the third step that Rick Hansen suggests is to actually sense the goodness, right? To intend to see the goodness and also sense it. So when you're in this moment, right, and you're experiencing whatever you're experiencing, then just look for the good piece. Yeah. Yeah. And even in really crappy situations, you can actually look for the good piece. Absolutely. You know, when if your intent is to go and find fault, you will find it. Mm-hmm. You know, but to go with the intent that no matter what, you're going to find good here somewhere mm-hmm. and enjoy it somehow, you will do that. Mm-hmm. But it's always stating that intent. Uh, if we go out with a negative intent, you can absolutely guarantee you are going to find it. Especially because of the negativity bias. Exactly. Exactly. Right. There's no question We're about that. We're wired to do that. All right. I think that you know one of, the, one of the things that we really have to do is to learn to let go of those fear-based beliefs, you know, so much of our, our identity is is based in underlying fear. We, we you know, our public self, our, our um, you know, our, our public self and our private self are in two different places. They're two different things. I, my public self, I let you see. I'm not going to let you see my private self. Mm-hmm. And that private self has a lot of fear and it has a lot of, uh, you know, barriers that totally, totally stop any connection from taking place. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so I'm, I'm traveling through this world um, that is just so totally fear-based. The other thing is the shame that we have, you know, like how, how does one let go of shame? You know, there's only one way and that is shame lives in the dark. So when I say that it is, we don't talk about feeling shame. We don't have that one person in our life. Maybe, yeah, well, I don't care whether we pay for it with a therapist or it's our partner or whoever, that we can say, I just did something really shameful and I really need to talk about it. So and share your shame. Share your shame, you know. Shame be a shame what sharer. Becomes, <laughs> shame sharers, yes. Uh, that could be a club. Mm-hmm. It could be. A me- you know, meetings or something sharer. like that. Shame sharers. Society. <laughs> shame sharers. Shame sharers reduces anxiety. 
what it does is it puts it back out in the light. Mm-hmm. You know, as as long as it is a secret inside of us, there's a saying uh, for the work, you know, uh, working in rehab, uh, that we're only as sick as our secrets. And mm-hmm. that's not about giving up our privacy. It's, it's recognizing that our secrets are the things that we dare not share, that we're terrified because of the shame of what would people say. We'd lose all our friends. We would whatever, uh, most of which are never true. Mm-hmm. That makes it so big that if we listen to it, we're trapped within it. So f- just find someone that you totally trust. Someone by trustworthy, as you know, it would never take any information about you and throw it back in your face, would ever break your confidences, uh, would share it with other people. And that becomes then that trustworthy person that we can share that shame and begin mm-hmm. to break that internal cycle of what's going on. And that's a great example of what Brene Brown says about vulnerability is you have to put it out there. You have to be willing to expose yourself. Exactly. Right? That's the courage exactly. to connect, the courage to connect in an authentic way. And it does take courage. It takes yeah. a lot of courage. You know, um, the same is, you know, sometimes what we'll end up doing is, is attracting toxic people to us. Yep. And those toxic people, um, uh, they have to go. There's just no no question about it. It sounds kind of cruel and uh, you know unusual to say it, but toxic people can destroy our life. Mm-hmm. They can give us gas. No, right. they give us all from ulcers to heart attacks. Yes. You know, uh, they're just the stress that's produced uh, uh, in 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 our lives. You know, so you know, I think that that negative thought. Now that we understand. What an evolutionary process they are, they are actually uh, uh, taking in our life. You know, I think that there are ways that we can, we can work with uh, understanding why do people automatically go to the negative. Now, there are those who will go to, you know, they will say yes right away, but it's the negative ones. Now, there's, there's another underlying thing, and that's our propensity to lie to ourselves. So next week, we are going to be looking at why do we lie? What are the lies that we tell ourselves? It's the name of our show. And we hope that you will join uh, Dr. Jan Hill and myself, Gordon Dell, here on Things Worth Considering. We hope you have a great week, and we look forward to hearing back from you again uh, next week. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning into Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jan Hill and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are. 